You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update, our Labor Day edition of the Judicial Watch weekly update. Thanks for joining us. Uh, as always, Judicial Watch is busier than ever. We had a court case, uh, court hearing actually in person, believe it or not, here in Washington, D.C. about a key Obamagate spy document. This one of the spy documents that was used to justify the targeting of Trump. I'll talk to you about that. We have two new lawsuits, one on COVID and China and uh, the other on the border crisis. So we're, we're covering all the bases. And um, in addition, I want to talk about, and I'll start off by talking about right now, the big controversy over Texas's uh, abortion law. It's pro-life law uh, that takes steps to protect the lives of unborn human beings uh, after uh, a heartbeat is detected. Essentially what the law requires is that a woman considering an abortion uh, go in obviously to the doctor and the doctor checks to see if there's a heartbeat. Now a heartbeat can be heard as soon as six weeks, but it's anywhere from six to 12 weeks you know, depending on the human being. And uh, if there's a heartbeat, the doctor isn't allowed to commit an abortion. The life has to be protected. And anyone who gets involved in committing an abortion on a human being and that has a heartbeat is subject to civil liability that can be pursued by individual citizens in Texas. So it's not the government that prosecutes anyone. In fact, there's no prosecution. It's always civil. There's no criminal case or sanction to a woman for committing an abortion or having an abortion uh, or anyone else. It's only civil liability. I think that ranges around the, uh, around $10,000. So the left is apoplectic because the law has gone into effect and they don't like the idea of women being able, unable to kill human beings that have a heartbeat in the womb. They're, you know, the left, by the way, the left wants the opinion, is of the opinion, and they want the law to remain that a woman can get an abortion on demand from the moment of conception through childbirth. And given the opposition to uh, protecting babies born alive, even after childbirth, in some cases, partial birth abortion and things like that. But certainly uh, they, uh, you know, they think unborn babies are, um, or the equivalent, I don't even know what they want. I don't want to term what they consider unborn babies to be. But uh, the science is they're human beings. We're all supposed to believe in science, except when it comes to human life, right? And the rule of law uh, to, uh, to the shame of the United States, and frankly, the Supreme Court in large measure, uh, hasn't extended far enough to protect uh, the entire family of human beings, specifically unborn human beings that we all recognize or should recognize if we're following biological science, are deserving of the protections. And uh, technically, what went on here is the Supreme Court refused to intervene. And by a 5-4 decision, they said, well, you know, look, these uh, plaintiffs in Texas who are trying to challenge the law uh, don't have anyone to sue. And so since there's no one to sue yet, since the law hasn't been enforced, the state isn't enforcing a law. It's only private parties that can enforce the law. We're not going to intervene. And so that was a 5-4 decision. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts, of course, is a political justice, so he opposed it. 
but uh, the five justices allowed the law to go into effect. Now, the law will be challenged because I would hope um, there will be citizens in, in Texas. And I'm not quite sure. I haven't looked up whether it's only limited to citizens in Texas that can enforce the law or sue in civil court those involved in committing abortion. Uh, that um, there'll be a challenge. It will be a constitutional challenge. And it will once again put before the courts the idea that, yes, human life is worth protecting. Certainly, unborn human beings that have a heartbeat should be protected. And uh, the media's coverage of this has been obviously an, another abomination. They're pro-abortion. Uh, Joe Biden is pro-abortion, fanatically so. They want to now use tax dollars that's being pushed by the radicals in Congress. They're controlling Congress now. They want to use your tax dollars that have been prohibited from being used for decades to fund abortions. So not only do you not get to oppose abortion, but we're going to take your money and fund it. And uh, in fact, uh, to show their true colors, because they don't believe, and, and, and we've talked about this before, everything the left says they believe as a principle in terms of PR, they never believe as a principle. They don't, they say they are against racism while engaging in racism. Uh, they say they're in favor of um, against sexism while engaging in sexism. Like Jennifer Saki, who is the White House spokesman, uh, a male reporter dared to ask her a question about abortion. And she attacked him for being male. Well, you're a male. You can't get pregnant. You, you can't have an abortion. Imagine if, the, if it was reversed. It just shows you that they support sexism when they see fit. And many have pointed out that, uh, you know, the left has been putting out there this notion that men can get pregnant. So I guess men have a view on abortion or that's allowed, they're allowed to have a view on abortion. I mean, I, I guess I just belabor the point because obviously when we're talking about protecting human life, everyone has an interest. And I'm interested to know what public policy issues we're not allowed to talk about on the basis of our sex. I like the left to explain that and delineate it further. But of course, that's not about. This isn't what this is about. This is about uh, promoting this abortion right, unbridled abortion right, and we'll see what the Supreme Court does. They're already going to consider uh, a, a kind of a challenge to Roe versus Wade and its progeny, uh, in in the in the in the case of a Mississippi law. And I don't know if the Texas law will be added to the mix, but focus on what needs to be focused on. The left believes that unborn human beings that have a heartbeat should be killed for whatever reason necessary. I guess even I, I think the exception is a medical emergency or life, life or death of the mother. Life of the mother exception. But a child with, an, with, with a, a beating heart can be killed through abortion for any reason. That's what the less position is on this. Now, uh, one thing that we've been highlighting is the seedy underbelly, as if it, you needed to be any seedier than being engaged in snuffing out pre-born human life, is the uh, abortion industry's uh, uh, commoditization of unborn fetal remains obtained through abortion. 
So they take the organs, they take the, the bodies, and they sell them to scientists who in an act of barbarism are using them to develop humanized mice and such. And Judicial Watch has exposed that. The FDA was involved in funding that. Fauci's agency was involved in funding that. We have the list. I mean, we literally have the credit card receipts. And I want to share with you, this is going to be unusual. I, I'm going to quote me. Uh, uh, we're going to, I'm going to play another weekly update where I discussed what we had found. It's the screen. Here I am in a prior update talking about uh, these documents that we had covered from the FDIA showing receipts of your tax dollars being used to pay for these parts. Let me see if I can hit play here. Thymus, second trimester. Liver, second trimester. The fee for each is blacked out. $750 paid via Visa. Document after document showing that livers and organs of unborn human beings in the second trimester are being sold to this lab. Now, they would say not at a profit, I would presume. That deserves further investigation, and frankly, it ought to be under criminal investigation. But really disturbing material. I tell you, we've got all the documents here. You can go through and see document after document. It is a catalog of horrors that I've never seen before here at Judicial Watch. And you can see from that prior discussion uh, just how outrageous uh, it is uh, in terms of uh, just how outrageous the abortion industry is in terms of, uh, again, extracting organs. As I called it, we had um, uh, new documents come out in a lawsuit we had pursued with the Center for Medical Progress where the University of Pittsburgh was running, as I called it, a fetal uh, organ chop shop funded with tax dollars, mainly out of the NIH and largely out of the agency that Dr. Fauci runs. So Fauci is funding this barbarism. So when you hear the abortion debate and you hear the fulminations against Texas daring to protect unborn human beings, I want you to recall what Judicial Watch found in terms of what happens to the bodies and organs of too many unborn human beings. So when you hear the fulminations of the left-wing media and their allied politicians about Texas's law trying to protect unborn human beings, keep in the back of your mind or in the front of your mind and share this information with others. These, uh, the fact that the abortion industry turns the organs and bodies of aborted babies uh, uh, into a commodity uh, to be used for scientific research, for humanized mice. Uh, the, the barbarism is something that no society should be engaged in, and, but this is what the abortion culture has led to. So I'm not quite sure what the Supreme Court's going to do, but you can be sure that you won't get an honest analysis of it from the media and uh, the legal issues around it. So just so, again, just so you know, private citizens in Texas can proceed with civil claims against those engaged in abortion and the killing of unborn human beings with a heartbeat. And the left is angry about that. 
do you need to know anything else? I probably not. And, uh, and of course, you know, the, the idea they get so angry about the idea that citizens would be able to engage in this type of litigation. When in fact, the left does that all the time. There are many laws uh, and, and uh, many regulations, court rules that allow citizens to engage in private litigation. It happens all the time. The left is at all time in housing, racial discrimination matters, environmental matters. And uh, the other big hypocrisy, of course, as I said, the left doesn't believe everything they pretend to believe when they say that they're concerned about the bodily integrity of uh, women and the right to choose what to do with your body. Obviously, that doesn't apply in anything related to public health related to COVID. Vaccine mandates, how does that comport? with the idea that you have a right to control uh, your own body. And what's the response to that is, well, you know, you're, you can, you're talking about other people here. Exactly. And that's the heart and crux of the abortion debate. So I don't know where you fall on abortion. You know where I fall on abortion. But I just want to highlight what the issue here is. And I don't want you to get distracted about what the issue they pretend to be which is that right now you can get an abortion for virtually any reason throughout the entire nine months of pregnancy. And Texas has tried to curtail that to make it clear that you can't get an abortion for an unborn human being with a beating heart. So that's the law in Texas. I think is a great development for the rule of law, for our nation's morality and ethics. And uh, I hope there's more to come in terms of expanding the rule of law to protect the little ones in the human family. So uh, moving on to another topic, speaking of the rule of law, uh, the worst corruption scandal in American history until I guess some more recent corruption scandals is the uh, targeting of President Trump or then candidate Trump and then later President Trump uh, by Obama, Biden, Hillary Clinton and company, the FBI, CIA, you name it, all the president's forces and all the president's men were going after Trump, spying on him. And they all pretended that they had justification for doing so. Well, in order to actually launch a spy operation against any citizen like this, uh, you need what is called an electronic communication to open up the counterintelligence investigation. The FBI concocts or is supposed to create one. In this case, they concocted one by, and guess who did the concocting? Peter Strzok the unethical FBI agent uh, who was a senior uh, counterintel leader in the FBI. And uh, we uncovered the document, uh, which showed that the document was really lacking in terms of justification for spying on a presidential candidate, which was really quite extraordinary. But it's the founding documents, the one the left points to saying, this is why Trump was, was uh, you know, pursued. It was legitimate. Well, when you look at the document, it's not legitimate. And when you look at it, you'll see that there's many redactions, names, the names of countries involved in the collusion to spy on Trump, uh, the names of confidential sources, we're told. Uh, and so we pushed back. We wanted to get the access to the information. We sued, successfully got this document that Congress couldn't get, but Judicial Watch was able to get. 
And so we were in federal court the other day. We had an hour and a half here. So it was rather unusual. Uh, and it was in person. So good news is that uh, we were able to appear in court in person. That's the first time, at least that I'm aware of, that there was an in-person court hearing, at least here in the District of Columbia, that we were involved in. So I went over to the court uh, with our lawyer, Lauren Burke, who did an excellent job advocating for more transparency for this document. And I listened to a lawyer for the Justice Department under Biden explain to the court why we can't find out information about the countries involved or the sources involved, back and forth. So one of the things they've alleged is that um, there's no public interest in getting access to this information. And we think there is, obviously. Uh, Judicial Watch is the nation's leading public interest uh, legal educational foundation. So uh, we have millions of people that support us and follow our work. That's evidence of public interest, don't you think? And the idea that a spy operation targeting uh, what soon turned out to be the president of the United States is not of the public interest, just shows you how dishonest the Justice Department is. And I'd like to say we would have gotten a different argument from the, from the Trump Justice Department under Barr, but we wouldn't have. So I don't want to necessarily blame Biden's administration for this because Barr's Justice Department raised FBI was as secretive and this, there's really no distinction between their um, uh, what they were covering up and what we were covering, what we're facing here with the Biden administration now. Uh, what was interesting is we had two declarations submitted on our behalf by Kevin Brock, a former assistant director, the director of intelligence and former principal deputy director of the National Counterterrorism Center for the FBI. He knows what he's talking about. And he looked at this electronic communication. And this is what he said. In the EC document, and I'm going to read this because I think it's important to know because the media won't tell you about this. And this is the value of Judicial Watch, telling you things about essential government, uh, excuse me, essential um, issues related to our republic. A spy operation against a presidential candidate and the president of the United States. How did it start? Only Judicial Watch is looking into it right now. I don't know where Durham is. Do you? See, now I'm getting, my, now I'm getting angry about this stuff. It's been years of fighting this, and we're still fighting the Justice Department over this corruption. In the electron, so our, uh, our, our witness here, Mr. Brock writes, in the EC document here, the from line indicates the EC, the electronic communication, and the authorization to begin an investigation as required under FBI policy is from a part of the FBI's counterintelligence division. The contact listed is Peter Strzok. The electronic communication was drafted by Peter Strzok. The electronic communication was approved by Peter Strzok. On the face of the document produced, it appears the electronic communication then initiated a criminal FARA investigation, the Foreign Agents Registration Act. An identified member of the Trump presidential campaign was created by Peter Strzok, approved by Peter Strzok, and sent from Peter Strzok to Peter Strzok. This is not usual procedure. FBI policy prohibits an agent from initiating and approving his or her own case. Such action violates FBI oversight protocols put in place to protect the American people from an FBI agent acting unilaterally. In fact, the electronic communication does not identify any individual by name as a target of the investigation. It does not articulate 
any factors that address the elements as required by routine FBI elements of law as required by routine FBI policy and procedure in the Attorney General guidelines and therefore does not contain sufficient justification for initiating an investigation into a U.S. person. Based on my experience, no reasonable experienced FBI counterintelligence squad supervisor in the field would have approved the electronic communication at issue here as released, which opened, as released, which opened the crossfire hurricane investigation. The unredacted document released in the the unredacted information released in the electronic communication document here offers no legitimate predication justifying the investigation of U.S. persons involved in the presidential campaign or subsequent FISA intercept of a U.S. person. So this is what we're fighting about. They are holding the names of FBI supervisors who were involved in this, holding the names of their plants who were spying on Trump, and holding the names of countries who were colluding with Trump. That's the collusion scandal, and it's being covered up right now, and it's only Judicial Watch that's in court right now trying to get the full truth. I don't know what Durham's been doing, as I said. We'll see if he issues a report or issues any additional indictments. Supposedly, he's been finally, suppose, finally, we've gotten word there's a grand jury in operation taking testimony, but there's no indication any senior officials have been targeted or even questioned as they should have been. So it's Judicial Watch doing this basic work. And it's never going to stop. The illegal spying and targeting of innocent Americans on the wrong side of the political divide is continuing. It continued against Trump. It's continuing now using the pretext of 1-6, January 6th, the disturbance, the Pelosi uh, totalitarian committee, Star Chamber proceeding. Uh, they've begun the process to try to take up the phone records and personal, da personal internet data of uh, other members of Congress who are Republican and anyone involved in the 1-6 controversy. And frankly, it looks like anyone who questioned the elections. So potentially thousands of Americans and Judicial Watch highlighted this in trying to confront and get the activity, get answers on P, uh, Adam Schiff's spying on uh, Rudy Giuliani. Remember he took the phone records, he got a subpoena that was not subject to any court authorization. AT&T, like that, gave him the phone records of Rudy Giuliani and he published them. And the phone records of Rudy Giuliani covered the phone records of lawyers for the president, uh, journalists, and a member of Congress, namely Devin Nunes. And, I, and I've been warning, and Judicial Watch has warned you that what Schiff was doing and what Pelosi were doing was they were asserting an, as I say, an unbridled authority to investigate and subpoena and take any record they want related to any American citizen. And there's nothing we could do about it. And they're doing it again. So it's never been just about Trump. It's been about you. Because Trump isn't enough because they recognize Trump is a passing figure. He may run for president again. He may be president again. I don't know. It's the movement they don't like. It's the opposition to their regime they don't like. And they will abuse the law. They don't believe in civil liberties. They don't believe in the First Amendment. If they could get away with it, they would jail you. Indeed, some of the one-six defendants probably shouldn't be in jail, but they're there for political purpose purposes. So we'll see what the court does. We're asking the judge to take a look at the document 
and see for himself whether the material that's being withheld is properly withheld. It's only two or three pages, but we'll see what the court does. But I'm proud that Judicial Watch is in court doing, again, the basic oversight that Congress refuses to do. Obviously, the administration is covering up and the media has zero interest in figuring it out. They're, they are still, they still talk about Watergate like it happened yesterday, but they don't want to talk about what Obama did a few years ago targeting Trump. I mean, I, I just read in the news today, and I've made this point repeatedly, and I've often observed the left is more interested in, in attacking and taking down the statues of uh, politicians from 150 and 200 plus years ago as opposed to asking questions about what politicians still walking around like Obama and Biden did a few years ago or even yesterday. But Judicial Watch doesn't forget. Uh, and, uh, and speaking of what happened yesterday, uh, we've had the other collapse of our Afghanistan endeavor uh, through the surrender and um, the, it's, I wouldn't call it a pullout, a retreat from Afghanistan by Biden. He surrendered the country to the Taliban. Uh, he took steps that uh, were foreseeably likely to lead to the deaths that did, it did lead to, meaning uh, the, uh, uh, the troops who were killed uh, the week last week. And the media wants to move on. They don't want to ask any questions, but Judicial Watch isn't going to forget. Frankly, we haven't even we haven't forgotten Benghazi. And we're not going to forget what he did in Afghanistan. The Afghanistan is still remains a threat. So obviously we have to monitor it. But we're going to uncover the corruption, the kind of evident corruption that even the media was kind of forced to report upon. What did they leave behind? What security warnings did they receive? How are they vetting refugees into the United States? All sorts of questions we have, and we are pursuing those questions through the Freedom of Information Act. And you can bet if we get the runaround, and I suspect we will, we will sue in court, federal court. So as everyone, in, in, the media moves on, they don't care about this, uh, but Judicial Watch, the least we can do for those who died, not only last week, but previously in the war, is to vindicate their sacrifice by using the liberties and laws that uh, and 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 freedoms that we have because of sacrifices like they made to hold the government accountable. So I'm proud to do it, and and our team is is angling to do it. We have a bunch of veterans on the team, and they're as upset about it as you are, if not more so. Oh. So moving on to the next crisis, we have the border crisis. So when you're engaged in destroying our southern border, opening it up, undermining the rule of law in ways never seen before in American history, at least as it respects, respects immigration law, you actually need help to do, do it. And so, so sure enough, the information is the Biden administration is funneling money to NGOs, non-governmental organizations, uh, both directly and through the United Nations uh, to help them undermine the rule of law in the United States by aiding and abetting fraudulent and uh, illegal activity, it looks like to me at least. 
So uh, we asked for records about that scam and scheme uh, from the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, we got the runaround, so we sued. We, set, we specifically sued for all records regarding the role of the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, the International Organization of Migration, and any other and or any other nonprofit organization in the processing of asylum seekers or other undocumented migrants to northern Mexico seeking entry into the United States. This request includes any related records and communications between any representative of the Department of State and any representative of the UNHCR and or IOM. Oh, I guess we sued the State Department. I thought we sued DHS, but it was the State Department. All records of communications between any representative of the Department of State including but not limited to the United States Mission of the United Nations and any representative of the United Nations or any United Nations agency related to the allocation of U.S. contributions to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees to nonprofit organizations providing assistance to asylum seekers and other undocumented migrants in northern Mexico. So I read that to you to let you know we know what we're doing, we know what to ask for, and we know what to pursue. And we're pursuing this information in federal court it's again, where's Congress in trying to police this? And I don't care if anyone's the Republicans are in the minority. This ought to be a priority. Now, you may recall the Remain in Mexico program that President Trump initiated required asylum seekers to the degree there were valid claims to remain in Mexico while their claims were adjudicated or processed. Now, the Biden administration tried to overturn that, and uh, the court said you can't do that. You have to go about it in a more regular, lawful way. But they've got partners in crime, in my view, in Mexico. And it's the UN and these NGOs that uh, are using our tax dollars to aid and abet uh, this breakdown on our border. A May 2021 Reuters story reported that the Biden administration had initiated, quote, a new process. This is what I discussed. Tasking a handful of nonprofits working in Mexico with identifying and referring. So we're outsourcing to these NGOs who are leftists mostly, almost all of them. I'm not aware of any conservative groups doing this. Identifying. Hey, you, you want asylum? Come over here, sign it up. That's how I read that. identifying referring asylum seekers, and that, quote, a spokeswoman for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees said the United States requested agency channel U.S. funds to the nonprofit groups involved. So we were giving money to the U.N. who was launderer to these uh, governmental organizations. And as I said earlier, in uh, last month, a federal court ruled that the Biden administration must reinstate the Remain in Place program. And on August, uh, August 24th, the Supreme Court let that stand. So it has to proceed. So the Biden administration funneled tax dollars through the United Nations and nonprofits as part of its open, open, open borders strategy, a strategy which is unlawful. So they need to stop stonewalling and start following the law so we can follow our money. So this isn't our only lawsuit on the border crisis. We have other lawsuits trying to figure out what's going on to get the details that the media refuses to tell you about and the administration wants to hide from you. 
But this is an existential crisis to the United Nations, uh, to the United States, excuse me, Freudian slip. You have no border, you have no country. And if you refuse, if you refuse to enforce the law, uh, you undermine our republic in ways that will echo across generations. So we're proud, again, of the work we're doing there. And if you like this type of work, I encourage you to support it with a donation, dare I ask. For charity, we take donations. Go to judicialwatch.org. You'll see a nice red button. Click through. Make a donation. So Dr. Fauci isn't the only bureaucrat we're interested in when it comes to the COVID confusion and uh, disaster uh, that we're still in because of, in my view, decisions by these public health authorities. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of controversies around COVID and a lot of them tie to gain-of-function research and whether gain-of-function research in part or directly help lead to the creation of this virus that ended infecting everyone. Gain-of-function research, again, is someone purposely taking a virus and making it more likely to infect and harm human beings. Now, we don't know for sure whether that happened, but it's in some ways an open question. Um, now, it could have been in a lab like the Wuhan Institute and gotten out, and there was no gain-of-function virus. It was just the virus that was there and got out, or it could have gone out naturally as well, uh, meaning it came from uh, the natural world, not from a lab. So Francis Collins is director of the National Institutes for Health. So in theory, he's Fauci's boss. And he's gotten in many ways a free pass from the media and the establishment class uh, for uh, what NIH has been doing with the Wuhan Institute, uh, the gain of function research funding, uh, generally the funding of China, which Judicial Watch has been virtually alone in exposing and detailing. And so what Judicial Watch has done is filed a lawsuit about Dr. Francis Collins's emails. Imagine that, asking for the emails of a top government official who is managing, in part, the government response to COVID. So we asked for three things. We said we want documents, uh, all emails that he had, related to gain-of-function research, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and dare I say it, hydroxychloroquine. Now, hydroxychloroquine is a, excuse me, is a, uh, a drug that's approved by the FDA. It's been out there forever. Uh, that's approved for certain uses to combat malaria, and, and it helps with lupus and such. And there have been studies that suggest, some studies suggest it's not helpful, other studies suggest it is helpful in, in curtailing or treating COVID. So the jury's out on that, but we're not allowed to even ask questions about it or demand more answers about it because of uh, the um, censorship encouraged by the government and uh, furthered by big tech about it. So I've been locked out of Twitter for making an a completely correct and innocent comment about hydroxychloroquine. I'm still locked out of Twitter. The Taliban can tweet, but I'm locked out. That shows you how crazy things are. So we asked for these records back in June of 2021, just a few months ago. We, we didn't get them. 
So we've got this gain-of-function research that Collins and Fauci have denied takes place or is being funded, practically speaking. So we want to know what's going on. What do you know? When did you know it? Now, what's interesting is the Washington Post, I may have referenced this last week, but I didn't give you the details. The Washington Post in August, on August 26, disputed, seemingly, Collins' claim that And this is what Collins said, NIH and the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases diseases have for years supported, have for many years supported grants to learn more about viruses lurking in bats and other mammals that have the potential to spill over to humans and cause widespread disease. However, neither NIH nor NIAID have ever approved any grant that would have supported gain-of-functions research, gain-of-function research on coronaviruses, on coronaviruses that would have increased their transmissibility or lethality for humans. Well, I don't know if this is that's correct or not. I don't think it is correct based on what they've been funding that I know publicly about. This is what the Washington Post reported last week. In the United States, NIH Director Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci, Director of the Agency's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, have led to federal funding and oversight of gain-of-function research. Eight years ago, Collins and Fauci helped put in place high-level reviews and other safeguards in response to concerns raised by David Relman, a Stanford University physician and microbiologist, and aides to Barack Obama, who were alarmed by what they saw as insufficient scrutiny of the research with ferrets. The NIH leaders in the Department of Health and Human Services pledged to subject the work to increased transparency and vetting. This included forming a review group of federal officials known informally as a ferrets committee to vet proposed projects for safety and worthiness. However, Collins and Fauci in recent years have helped shape policy changes directly through their aides that undercut the committee's authority. Since then, the experiments have continued to unfold amid secrecy. And HHS, which administers the review committee, has kept its work confidential. No agendas, meetings, or other records of its proceedings are public. Even the names of the federal officials assigned to serve on the committee, which has spanned the Obama and Trump and Biden administrations, are kept secret. And the story goes on to describe how they've effectively been funding gain of function. So we'll see what the documents show. And as I read this, I'm like, oh, we've got to do a FOIA on this too, right? We also, again, asked about hydroxychloroquine. Now, he told 60 Minutes, Francis Collins did, that basically it was a bust. Maybe he got in the way of trying other kinds of repurposed drugs. All the enthusiasm about hydroxychloroquine was basically dependent on anecdotal reports, and that did leave everybody with kind of a sour taste in their months. Now, we had to get over that. I think we're over it now. He said that in March. So basically, he's attacking Trump there. Now, of course, it wasn't based on anecdotal reports. The questions about whether hydroxychloroquine was useful was based on studies. And people criticize the studies or suggest other studies show it shouldn't be used and people say you should stay away from it. But to say it's anecdotal is just silly. So we'll see there. So as I say, the NIH is in full color mode about the COVID-19 controversies in politics. Where are the emails? Now, we're already in court fighting for Fauci documents. Now we're in court fighting for Collins documents. Again, this is the basic work that Congress should be doing, but will never do. It's not even based on policy. They just never will do it. 
Now, there are members who individually are doing investigations and no wrong. wrong. Rand Paul is doing it. Senator Johnson is doing it. But they're getting the runaround. I know they're getting the runaround. So are you interested in COVID? Are you interested in the Wuhan Institute? Are you interested in hydroxychloroquine and what the government knows about it and whether or not it's being treated um, in a way it should be treated as, uh, in terms of its potential or not lack of potential? I don't know. I know I don't trust Fauci or, frankly, Dr. Collins to tell us the truth about much these days. So that's why we're suing in court. So uh, a lot going on. I want to make sure there's nothing else I'm missing here. So there's a lot going on at Judicial Watch. We are in federal court, literally in federal court. We're in court this week. Uh, we have new lawsuits. And uh, again, we're front and center on uh, a core issue for our nation, which is uh, the issue of pro-life and abortion. So with that, uh, I wish you have, uh, I wish you a wonderful and safe Labor Day. Hopefully you're able to enjoy it with you and yours. And so I will see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.